Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and it's Monday, August 23rd, 2010, and this is the Future of Education, and our special guest today is Amber Mack. Amber, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, sorry for being delayed thanks to uh, rainy uh, traffic jams in Toronto. Well, we're just glad you're here. Future of Education is sponsored by Illuminate, my employer, and Learn Central, the social network for educators that I work on for Learn Central. It is a free social network for educators that lets you use Illuminate for free. We hope you'll come in and join us. Uh, let's see. Under Oh, there we go. The audio feedback was from the telephone bridge. We've announced the Global Education Conference, November 15th to 19th, 2010, and we are taking uh, presentation proposals at this time. I think we have about 70 so far. This is really going to be fun. Five days, multiple languages, multiple tracks, all for free. We hope that you will join us. Coming up on the Future of Education tomorrow, Kathleen Cushman on her brilliant book, Fires in the Mind, a look at students uh, studying engagement and expertise. Um, really, really fun. Then the BYU-Idaho learning model from Anya Kamenitz's book, DIYU, and, um, and classes, conversation. George Siemens on connectivism. Vicky Bellis on the race to nowhere. Lots more fun events coming up. We hope that you will consider joining us. If you've missed a session, the recordings are all posted at the Future of Education, futureofeducation.com. Carol Dweck and Linda Darling-Hammond, both from Stanford last week, just amazing sessions. Carol's book, Mindset, is quoted in just about every book I read these days on education. Linda Darling-Hammond's books uh, really hold the key to understanding educational change, and I'm haunted by them. Uh, Kyle Ruddick on the One Day on Earth Project, um, David Wood on Getting Paid for Who You Are, lots of other fun uh, previous events all recorded and up there for you. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a participative environment. We're sure glad you stuck around. Uh, and we want you to be able to participate. So if you look at the bottom of the participant window, you'll see some emoticons, a smiley face, a clapping hand. Those are ways of expressing yourself during the session. The, hand, the larger hand with the green up arrow lets you raise your hand if you would like to ask a question. That allows you to, to take the microphone. We'll give you the microphone. But be sure that you've gone up to Tools Audio and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure that your microphone is working. Um, I'm going to recommend that you also go up to, that everybody go to View Layouts and switch to the Wide Layout. It's much easier to watch the session uh, chat than if you are in the standard format. Okay, your first chance to participate now and let Amber know that you're here and where you're listening from is to use the laser pointer wand to the left of the map. It's the, the wand with the red star at the end. Click on that and then click on the map and let them know where you're participating from. You can also shout it out in the chat. Okay, so a very North America-centric crowd today, probably in part because of the timing. Romania, wonderful. Okay, and have we had someone from Romania in before? I'm not. I'm thinking maybe not. Well, so wherever you're listening from, or participating from, or if you're listening to the recording, we're sure glad you've joined us. This is a little bit of a stretch, meaning Amber is generous enough to come talk to us to an educational audience about her book, Power Friending, without it really being about education. But this book has made a significant difference for me. 
and I'm hopeful that her voice is one that has an impact on the discussions that we have about uh, social media and education. So Amber, I did turn your mic off, and I'm going to let you turn it back on now. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, and uh, thanks for everybody who has joined in on the conference. It's uh, nice to meet you both on the line and in the chat room. Okay, so I'm going to start with a quote from the book. And again, Amber, I'm, going to, I'm hearing a little bit of echo, and I think it's just the headset setting. So the easiest would just be for you to turn your mic off and then turn it back on when you talk. Sure. So this is what you're saying in the book. Uh, if you haven't adopted social media in a significant way, you risk shutting out the best and most powerful communications channel we've ever known, a channel that values authentic interactions and power friending at its core. So I think social media scares a lot of educators. Tell us, uh, 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 kind of give us an explanation of, of why you think this is so significant. Well, you know, as much as I have spoken to social media audiences that are mainly consisting of corporate executives. The reality is I've done quite a few Education 2.0 events as well, and what I found is it really doesn't matter who the audience is. There is always fear, and that fear tends to be in all parts of organizations, whether it's from the top down or people who are the actual doers within, within inside the organization. And technology is one of these things that seems to really make people afraid. You know, they're scared to break things. They're scared to get in there and experiment. But what I always try to remind people is that social media really is just about communicating and interacting. I mean, we've been social beings for centuries and centuries. And so it's important not to focus too much on the technology and instead focus more on the conversations. You can learn all the technology. And I think the nice thing is the community that exists online, generally speaking, it's a very friendly community and people are always there and willing to help. And so try not to get caught up. Try not to be too afraid. And just jump in two feet first and start experimenting. So I think one of the things that makes education potentially unique is the degree to which it is a largely controlled environment. And I think in part some of the fear that comes in education is this concern about should teachers be talking to students outside of controlled ways. Now, it seems like this is also a bigger conversation beyond just education. Is there a, a power change taking place? Well, that's a really good question. I think what's happening right now is that it's not just the education space where there's a very controlled environment. It really is across multiple industries. And there is a power change in the sense that there are these open platforms where students, where employees are going and they're having these conversations without having anyone really controlling those conversations. And I think what's important to remember in the education space, and this is what I've talked a lot about, is that it's not just about using social media so you can go in there and communicate with students. There's also also great examples of using social media where you can do things like do live Skype video interviews and bring an expert from halfway across the world into the classroom. You can maybe use Twitter to, if you have older students or you're in the education field at a college level, to go and have those conversations where people simply send in messages and maybe it's not so much about you know checking out what they're putting on Facebook and using that as a platform. So it really depends on what you're trying to do, but the reality is there are different tools for every different level of of education. And some of those tools don't have to be intrusive as people might want to make them out to be. So while we were waiting for you, and, and those who are in the room deserve uh, some accolades 
for for the for sticking around in the middle of the day, and we really appreciate that you did so. We were having a discussion um, on a variety of topics, and one of the questions came up is that you know what what uh, value is there in looking at social media from a business standpoint in education, and and it occurred to me, and it hadn't before. That in part, it's also the relationship that education has with educational vendors, that, that the expectation that they will be able to communicate sort of openly and fully with the educators. Have you seen, uh, I'm not guessing that you have, but have you seen examples of anything like that? Uh, examples where educators are just working with vendors to, you know, is it more to like B2B communications? Is that what you're talking about specifically? Well, it wasn't really a fair question, so we'll skip it. But we'll come okay. back to it as we talk about it. Because I, I, you, you don't know the market like we do, but I think we're seeing some very specific cases where vendors who are very authentic with the teacher audience uh, through social media are gaining a level of trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I don't have any specific examples of that, but uh, I mean, it sounds like a good thing. I mean, when I've been following the education space in this, as it uh, pertains to social media, really I've been following it from a perspective probably more of how educators can use these tools to further enhance communication with students at all different levels. Um, but I know there are many le levels of uh, uh, education in social media, and you guys seem to be the experts on that, so uh, I'm interested in learning from you as well, so I'll keep an eye on what's going on in the chat room. Okay, so I want you to know that the book made a very tangible difference for me. So the company I work for is Illuminate, and we were just acquired by a company named Blackboard. And, and Blackboard has um, something of a little bit of a mixed reputation because it's, a, it's, a, it's like any large uh, educational vendor. There are, uh, you know, feelings of, um, there are varying feelings about the relationship between education and commercial vendors. And and it made a huge difference for me to be able to point to your book and talk to the people illuminated about the importance of being very transparent and non-defensive in this environment. So it made a difference for me in a very tangible way. I think for most educators, the two chapters that are going to be the most useful are the, um, the, the rules and the strategy chapters. Um, and I think your voice is unique here. Do you want to give us a little bit of your background and talk about maybe some of the things that you've done that have led you to be in a position to understand social media so well? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, in 1999, and I won't make this too long, so don't worry, uh, I had just graduated with a degree in journalism, a postgrad degree, and at the time I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life being a reporter. Uh, I soon after got a job as a daily news reporter, and after a few months I realized that it was a little too repetitive for me. I needed something more interesting, and I loved technology, um, and I loved the internet even though it was the early days. So. I moved out to San Francisco and I worked at a company called Razorfish, which was one of the best web design development companies in the whole dot-com boom. I was there for a while and uh, subsequently joined another startup doing uh, uh, community development. And I think this is pretty interesting because people think social media is something new, but the reality is that we have been doing, um, interacting at a level in terms of building communities on the web for quite some time, really since the Internet started. I mean, whether it's message boards or uh, 
um, you know, newsletters that people sent out. We were really trying to use these tools to bring communities together. And so while I was in San Francisco, I was there kind of in the early days of community development and got a good sense of how to use um, some of these tools to be able to bring people together, to create platforms where people can engage in conversations. And I think the difference is now, you know, 10, 11 years later, is that much of the technology has become so, so much more advanced. Um, it's very inexpensive where anyone has access to it. And also the mainstream public is also using these tools. So it's really exploded. Um, so I'd say I'd specialized in uh, the online community development space for quite some time now, really since the beginning of the Internet, and have loved it in terms of the ability to be able to bring people together. And today I think it, there's no more exciting place to be than uh, to be focusing on all of this technology that really is changing the way that we communicate across multiple industries and across multiple cities and countries around the world. So Amber, would you tell us about the ABCs? Yeah, no problem. The ABCs, you know, this is something that I think is really important in the book, and it's something that I talk about all the time when I speak about social media, because there are some rules to engaging in this space, and I like to keep them simple, called the ABCs. The first is authenticity. And the idea being here, it's important for anyone, no matter how you are, uh, who you are, to be as transparent as possible when having conversations online. That means, you know, um, if you want to show off a bit of your personality, to be the real you instead of kind of covering up. And I think over the years, what we've tended to do, whether we've uh, done this with press releases or uh, in email communications, is we try to put on sort of a different front. That doesn't really work on the web. People want to see someone who is genuine, who's authentic. They want to be able to have those real conversations. And I think people are thirsty for those real conversations. The second thing is bravery. So that is the B of the ABCs. And bravery is a really important thing, because if you think about some of the stats that have come out recently, there are approximately 2 billion months tweets sent out every single month on Twitter. There are now more than 500 million people using Facebook, and so there's a lot of noise online. In order to really stand out from the crowd and to do something different and to get people's attention, you have a lot of competition. And so you need to be brave and do something that's innovative, do something that's different, um, and, and just get, get out there and don't necessarily be afraid anymore. And the third thing is consistency. And I like to talk about this one like going to the gym. Now we all know that uh, if we only go to the gym once a month, we aren't going to see the results that we want, as sad as that is. And so it's important to make sure that you have a regular routine, and the same applies to social media. You need to make sure that if you're engaging in this space, then you want to do it on a regular basis. That may mean you know, three or four days a week you post something online or you interact online, and you consistently do this for a set amount of time. And in that way, you will really see the results that you're looking to see, and you will really be able to build up a community. But it's not the type of thing with social media where you can kind of jump in now and again, you really need to be engaged at a consistent level. When I first saw the title for the book, I, um, I, you know, I probably did what a lot of people do, which is to think that this was about um, sort of Facebook friending. And yet the title is so deep because I, the message you're really giving is that this is a, that we need to be seeing social media and interacting in the way that we would interact with our friends. Did I get that correct? 
You definitely got that correct. I mean, the title of the book really came out of an event that I was doing in Miami, and there was this woman in the audience who raised her hand and said, how has the Internet changed the definition of a friend? And I think this is one of the, the most fascinating questions that I've ever had when I've spoken to live audiences in the sense that I think the Internet has changed the definition of a friend. I think it really has um, you know, broadened um, you know, what we define as a friend. I mean, there are people right now who I talk to on Twitter or um, YouTube or whatever site it might be, and I do consider them my friends even if we've never met before. And so I think that um, that is kind of a growing trend, and I think um, people, again, are kind of craving those connections, and, and technology allows us to do that. But you really need to treat these people in a sort of a friendship-like way and have that respect. So I want to go back to bravery for a second, because as I read the, the parts of the book on bravery, I kept thinking, uh, bravery really requires an ability to experiment, and that, you, that it's very hard to know if something's actually going to work. So how do you kind of manage being brave at the same time, knowing that not everything that you're bravely trying is going to be successful? Sorry, can you hear me okay? Just fine. Okay. Um, I'm just in the chat room right now, and uh, Peggy just asked, uh, does bravery equate with risk taking? And I think that's true. I mean, I think there is an element of risk. Not everything you're going to do uh, online is going to be successful. There are going to be things that are going to fail. And uh, especially, I think, when you're talking to different audiences, you know, something may work for one audience and not for another. But we know that this technology does work. We know that it is growing and that it's become increasingly important in our society. And it's not going away anytime soon. And so it's okay if you try stuff that doesn't work. Maybe try it again with a different audience or maybe try it again in six months. I cannot tell you how many people have come to me and you know, maybe a couple of years ago they said, you know what, we tried social media but it just wasn't right for us. Whether this is in the education space or another industry, they've just said, you know what, it, it just didn't work. And I always say to them, you need to try again because times are changing so quickly that it's, it's very important to kind of get the timing right and to be able to figure out the right tools for the right people. Um, and in a lot of cases I think, you know, maybe if social media was something you dipped your big toe in two years ago, maybe it, it just didn't make sense then and it does now. And so there is this element of learning, I think, along the way and this element of risk taking and putting that brave face on and being willing to go out there, try something and, and do it until it sticks. So Bill's raising an interesting question in the chat as well and I think it relates to this which is our tendency to look for a return on investment and to want to m measure and manage the outcome. So if we're being brave and we're risk taking and we're not always sure what the outcome is going to be, uh, you reframe that as uh, return on engagement. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I also get that question a lot is uh, how do we measure our return on investment? I mean, where are the actual dollars? Because this stuff does take time and I'm going to be the first person to tell you that um, if someone tells you social media doesn't take a lot of time, they're lying. <laughs> it can uh, you know, suck away your hours during the day if you don't try to control it and come up with a really good plan. But instead of focusing on the return on investment and the actual dollars at the end of the day, um, what a lot of people say is more important to focus on 
is the engagement. And so in the book I mentioned the term return on engagement, which is a common term uh, among some people in the social media space where we're talking about conversations that are happening. And uh, I'll just quickly tell a, a little story of uh, someone I, I met not that long ago. And uh, he, he's probably spelled it out the best I've ever heard it as far as trying to get people to get over the idea of return on investment. He said, 10 years ago, if I told you that there existed, the, these tools existed where you could connect thousands of people, where you could communicate via video with people on the other side of the world, you could have live chats, you could do all of these different things, and you could measure how many people were viewing what you're putting out there, what country they're from, you could get all of this information. If I told you that a tool like this existed, you would pay me thousands and thousands of dollars per month to subscribe to these tools. Well, now these tools exist online for how much money? For free. I mean, most of them are completely free or a small subscription fee, and so we really aren't talking about a lot of money, but we are talking about the investment as far as time. And so I guess my point there is just to say that although you may not see the dollars come back to you right away, what you need to realize is the value of this technology. And this technology which has been built up over the past decade to just be unbelievably powerful and less expensive as time goes on is just a fantastic way to be able to get people to engage, you know, not only in the learning process, but just to bring people together to communicate and do all these sorts of things. So focus on that engagement more than you do on the dollars. So if we kind of dive a little deep here and we go back to this idea of shifting power and we think about the role of this of social media and allowing the user or the customer or the individual to have voice, is a part of what's happening here is that we have to recognize that the users are going to help reshape the institutions? I think that's exactly true, and I think that's a, a very important part of social media is to believe that it isn't something where it's coming just from one person with inside an organization. I mean, the, the best tools or the best examples of how social media has done well for people is when there's really a group of people that are using it involved and they're giving feedback. And, and so I think that's an excellent point is that you do want that interaction. You do want people to be able to have their voice uh, to help to shape what you're doing. And I'm not sure that people are always that comfortable with that. I think, you know, both in education and also in other areas, it's always been a situation where you kind of want to be the expert. I mean, you want to be the one telling other people how things should work. But I've seen it in examples of talking to teachers who are, you know, talking to students who are high school students, where the students are truly teaching them something. I mean, this has been a big shift and something people have to kind of get over in the sense that these students tend to know more stuff maybe than some of the teachers in the classroom, especially when it pertains about this technology and how some of that works. So it's key to kind of keep an open mind and making sure that everybody in the organization um, or if you're in an educational institute, um, you know, with your students and other people, let everybody have that voice to try to shape what you're doing. And in saying that, when everybody has a voice and everybody has a say, I do think it's also important to have sort of social media guidelines. And this is something I always recommend to organizations is that you should, before you start engaging in social media, I don't care who you are, you should have some type of document. It could be as simple as one page where really sets out the guidelines in terms of how you are to properly engage using social media. And that includes things like if a situation gets out of control, you know, who do you escalate that situation to? Who do you talk to to get someone to come in and deal with a, some type of issue that has happened? So um, make sure that uh, that is a priority. And once you have those sort of rules established and those guidelines, it will really help people to bring people together and make sure that, that everybody participates in a way that's respectful and that is uh, really adhering to uh, the guidelines that make it make sense. 
So I'm thinking about that we need to have a show on those guidelines, and in particular with regard to education. But it does feel as, to me as though if you look at the examples of companies that have sort of pushed the boundaries of Web 2.0 and have shown us what participative media is, that they've largely morphed their offerings based on their users' desires and that we're likely to see much more of this. It's going to be more common culturally to expect that the companies will respond to the individuals and that we're likely to also see that in education. Yeah, I, I think that is true as well. I mean, I was just writing an article this morning about Zappos, and some people may be familiar with that company. It's the online shoe retailer, and uh, they are very famous for leveraging social media from the top down. So their CEO uh, is uh, an ex excellent example of how someone who really heads up an organization has embraced social media and has encouraged people in his organization to use social media as well, and has considered his customers as people who will help to influence what they do in the social media space and has involved them along the way. So if you're interested in terms of seeing a wonderful example of how social media has worked at all different levels, uh, I think you should check out Zappos and just do a little search into what they've done in the past because everything from on their website, they have uh, a how-to list of how to engage in Twitter. They have the Twitter accounts of more than 500 employees. So they have literally an army of people who are talking on Zappos' behalf. And then there are great stories, and I tell one of them in Power of how they've interacted with customers and how their customers, again, have really helped to shape things along the way. Uh, one good example of how they were sending shoes to a woman whose mother just died. Um, and there were all of these different blog posts. And Zappos ended up sending this woman flowers. And then she wrote about it on her blog. And um, you know, just a wonderful story of how Zappos was very genuine um, and really treated people like people, not just you know, individuals and users on the other end of this technology. So one possible way to describe that would be that in the absence of this kind of communication, often systems were created to deal with sort of standard circumstances. And now that the communication is available, we're seeing a little bit of the breakdown of the systematic approach. I don't want to get a form letter. I actually want somebody to reply to me personally. I think that is a growing trend. I mean, I think people really want that sort of high-touch experience. And the nice thing is uh, some of this technology allows you to do that. You know, you, I, right now when I get pitches from press people and they write me these form letters and they don't even bother to do any research into who I am or what products I, I use, what do I do with those emails? Quite honestly, I just delete them. I mean, especially in this day and age when we can we can reach out and you know touch so many people with so much technology so easily. Uh, I think there's a great opportunity to have more intimate interactions. And again, that that's where the whole idea of power friending comes in is to be able to create these relationships with people and connect with people um, and and just to uh, uh, be able to really nurture those types of connections and conversations. Okay, so this is to the community. I think there's an opportunity for us to write a book called The ABCs of Social Networking or Social Media that would be for guidelines for uh, education. And I'm going to guess, Amber, that that had to have been on your short list of titles since you have ABC in the book. 
<laughs> there was a lot of names uh, that made it to the short list, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, the ABCs, I mean, it's funny because I think when you read a book, you write a book, there's always a few things that you kind of take away. And I can't tell, stress enough how much those ABCs have kind of been the core of the book. I mean, this is the heart of, I think, what people need to do in the social media space. I, I don't care who you are, all these things, if you want to build a community online, they really are critical to what you're trying to do. Okay, so maybe a little bit closer to the heart of education would be your section on the community manager, which uh, you clearly see as a very crucial role. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think as much as I've talked a little bit about how it's important to have people communicate and use these social media, media tools across all levels, a community manager is a really important role within an organization. I mean, this doesn't have to be a full-time job for everybody. It could be someone who has another job and maybe has been designated as the community manager, but make sure that that individual has been given time during their week to maintain all of these social media sites. And that person shouldn't be someone in your organization who's shy, who doesn't like to interact or have a conversation. It should be someone who understands the principles of how to build relationships, of how to go out there and connect with people, and who genuinely enjoys meeting new people. I don't know, you know, for people who are listening in right now, I'm sure all of us have wonderful examples of how, you know, a story on Facebook, a story on Twitter, whatever it might be, of how the web has brought us closer to someone, whether it's friends or family or whatnot. Um, but it really is a fascinating space, and I think a community manager needs to really embrace that and be able to appreciate that and go out there and communicate with people and, and really at the end of the day just be a people person and someone who understands how these things work. And uh, I, you know, again, just like the social media policy, I think that's an important part of your social media plan overall is to have that community manager um, in place when you start to engage in the space. So where are people finding those community managers? They're, they're, they're probably not sitting there in a role titled community manager. Where do organizations typically find them? I think a lot of organizations, at least the ones that I've worked with, they've actually found them within their own organization in the sense that there's always that one person who has a keen interest in some of these tools. And if you just can kind of seek them out, then that might be the per perfect person for the job. Um, I'm a big advocate of having someone internal take this job. I mean, it's wonderful if you can go out there and advertise online, whether it's on Craigslist or a number of other websites, to find a community manager to come into your organization and and start helping to build your community on the web. But the perfect, the perfect situation is when you have someone who's already there, who already represents what you do and loves what you do and is interested and passionate about this technology. If they can assume that role, that is ideal. Um, not everybody will have one of those people who's already within the organization, but at most places I've seen um, in terms of the people that I've consulted with, there is always someone um, who is a good fit for this type of role. So uh, when I talk about social networking, I tell people, that, that from my perspective, this is sort of the Julie from the love boat. Does that ring true with you? Well, the love boat, I remember that, but I'm not sure I remember Julie so well. Which character was she again? Well, she was, I mean, I think there were variations on the show, but she was kind of the, uh, the tour guide, you know, the, what would somebody in the chat will know, the, the cruise director. She was the cruise director. And she, she had all those sort of people skills and the understanding and the sort of sense of nuance. I've actually wondered if there isn't a personality type that's extremely attuned to how other people are thinking who anticipates how people will receive a message. 
Yeah, you know, I really like that term, cruise director. I might steal that for a future article instead of community manager. <laughs> there's, uh, there's something to that. But uh, I think you're right. I mean, you really need to find someone who uh, can anticipate how other people think, who enjoy building those connections, um, who is also just, you know, in some ways, just a, a caring person who cares both, both about your brand and about your people. And if you can find that individual, I think that can be, um, you know, a really, really positive thing for what you're trying to do because I think that will actually come out online. You know, some people think that technology is just really, you know, it's this cold thing where you don't get a lot of personality. But I believe, you know, just from what I see that people are writing on the web right now is that you can get a, a sense of what those people are like. And so if you have a wonderful Julie-type cruise director within your organization, and maybe they haven't mastered all of these, these tools, it might be a situation where you want to give them some training, you want to hire someone to kind of consult them for a couple of, with them for a couple of months, and then just let them go on their way if they already have that personality together and seem like a good fit. And, and this is a person who also has to be able to bring back to the organization the responses of the community and help to engage the organization around changing or meeting the needs that they're, they're hearing about in the community, right? It really is. I don't think the community manager or cruise director, whatever we want to call it right now, I don't think it's necessarily an easy job. I think in some ways you'll be fighting against things all the time in the sense that you, you will probably become so, uh, hopefully, so immersed in the community that you're building online that you will really be kind of a champion both for that community and for your brand. And so you may get into some difficult situations where your boss or someone higher up in the company doesn't like what you're doing. You have to explain to them why and that you understand the community. Um, and, and I think it, it can be a struggle, um, and I've seen this happen all the time. And so I think the person who takes this role needs to be a, a strong person as well. Um, and that's why I think they need this, really need the support of the people hiring them to say, hey, you know what, go out and do this job and we're going to give you, you know, all this responsibility to be able to go out there and represent our brand. I've dealt with organizations before where they've said, okay, you're a community manager and they've hired an intern and they haven't given the intern any power to do anything. Um, and, and not necessarily that they should, but the reality is what happens when you have someone who's inexperienced, who doesn't have the authority like that online, is I don't think they can really make an impact, like an impact that should be made um, as far as building communities on the web. And so you tend to do just a bit of a disservice if you don't uh, give someone the authority to really have a voice out there. Have you seen good examples of people who were working within organizations or institutions where they just didn't really, their, the, their managers or leaders just didn't get it and they were able to help them to see more clearly the value of this type of interaction? And what did they do? I see that all the time. I mean, I, I would say this is one thing where I've had people who have had the position of a community manager where they've just fought to be able to try to convince their higher-ups that this is the right thing to do. And uh, I think, you know, the most successful examples that I have are those where the individual has made it a priority to really try to show off what they've done as far as their successes in the conversations and get those conversations in front of someone who maybe their boss or um, someone who's at the executive level at their organization and, and show them, you know, maybe once a month they have sort of a status update with that person to be able to say, hey, here are some of the conversations that are happening, here's how our competitors um, or other people in the industry, here's what they're doing or other schools or whoever it might be. And so I think it really, um, it really ends up being something where there needs to be education done. 
And so that community manager is also sometimes really responsible for educating um, other people in the organization as far as what's happening on the web. And, and they just, in some cases, they just need to be fight, need to fight, and they need to be strong um, because they will encounter a lot of speed bumps along the way. But I have seen many people who have become very successful, and uh, and then all of a sudden, all of the other people in their organization want you know to take part in their social media efforts, which is a great problem to have. <laughs> Okay, so you list the ABCs uh, and, and the, the, they're, they've been a real takeaway for people. Although I will tell you it was the 10 best practices section that really got my largest bookmark. Um, I, I know that we're, you know, we're not going to have time for you to go through all of these, but when people ask you about the best practices, can you give kind of a sense of, of what really underlies those 10 key best practices? Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, I, I think uh, probably one of the most important things is to listen. So any type, you can can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, I, the only reason I'm asking is sometimes I hit my mic and then uh, I have this mute button that goes off easily. So the most important step when you are trying to engage in social media is to listen. And we haven't talked a lot about that. We've talked more about who do we hire and how do we be successful, what tools do we use. But the reality is you need to listen to what's happening out there online. That may mean listening to conversations that people are having about your school, your brand, um, just getting a sense of what exists and uh, the type of noise as far as digital noise that's taking place in the web environment. And so listening to these conversations becomes a really critical um, step as far as being a social media success. There's some tools out there like Google Alerts that, allows you, that allow you to easily keep track of conversations. You can just plug in a keyword and then get emailed when someone is talking about that particular conversation or person. So listening is a really important uh, uh, step. Also, um, if I had to pick another, I'll pick a couple. Um, I would say that the next most important is probably that negative feedback is okay. There's a tendency with people where they think that social media opens them up to too much negative conversation. Um, it, it allows them to be vulnerable and they're really not prepared to go there. But I think what's important for people to remember is that uh, the criticism will continue to happen, and it is most important that when it does happen, that you have a say, you have a part in that conversation. So remember, you don't want to allow people to just be out there you know, saying whatever they want um, about your school or about an individual. You want to be able to make sure that you have a, a chance to really defend yourself in that conversation. So negative feedback can lead to great things. Um, uh, one quick example about this is uh, um, Pepsi Canada had a, a, an incident where they had an individual who was um, not so happy with one of the campaigns they launched on Facebook. And so he developed this group where they had 100,000 people who were against this Pepsi campaign. Now what the head of marketing of Pepsi Canada did, instead of just saying, hey, you know what, we should just drop social media because obviously people out there don't like us and don't want like what we're doing, he actually called this kid up. He was like a 14-year-old kid. And he said, can you tell me why you created this group, why you didn't like our campaign? And the kid gave him a very honest answer. And they actually developed a relationship where this kid had input next time around in terms of helping to develop the, uh, a second social media campaign for Pepsi Canada. So just one good example about how negative feedback can be okay, and uh, we should really take it as constructive criticism. Um, the next thing I will probably say that is, uh, I'll just do the third one, is to track your accomplishments. And this may mean that you want to make sure that you keep up to date on your stats. You want to be able to have some measurement to track your success in the social media space. Um, 
there are also a lot of tools that allow you to do this fairly easily. Uh, I'll mention one just quickly called Hootsuite, uh, which is a great dashboard for engaging in the social media space because it allows you to measure how many people have clicked on a link, where those people are from. Um, it allows you to do things like schedule messages to go out to multiple social networks at the same time. And so it can really be, like I said, your dashboard for all your social media efforts and help you to measure if you've been successful or not. And just so people, if you didn't know what I said, I just said Hootsuite, H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E. So I'm a big fan of Hootsuite as well. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to add one more to your short list there because for me, one of the really key ones was adding value. And I sometimes think that's the confusion between sort of promotion and marketing and that when people are truly adding value now in the social media world, it's much easier to recognize. Yeah, I think adding value is important in any um, anything that you do. You know, you don't want to go out there and just use all these tools as a broadcast mechanism um, just to kind of shout out what you want to say to the world. I think you want to be able to add value to help people, you know, learn or, or you know spread something out there that you know can improve people's lives. And and just think about it from that point of view. Think about it like you're helping other people and you're you're encouraging them to sort of learn along the way. And the most successful examples of social media really are in situations where you've seen other people who have truly come together, built community online, and who are adding value to other people's lives. And so that's a really important point. So I want to move us to Q&A. And, and, and while people are preparing, uh, ask you one quick question. So if you would like to ask Amber a question, use the hand with the green up arrow at the bottom of your participant window. That lets you raise your hand and you can take the microphone. Or you can put your question in the chat. And if you put the question in before and we missed it, please uh, feel free to ask it again. So Amber, your voice uh, uh, for me was very helpful. And I really appreciated it and, and like the perspective that you bring to social media. Who are you listening to or reading that you would like to encourage us to also follow? Sure, that's a really good question. There's a few people that I've listened to. Uh, one is there's a guy named Mitch Joel. He's from Montreal, and uh, he has a fantastic blog called Six Pixels of Separation. Um, I think you can check it out at I think it's just twistimage.com if I'm correct. And um, he's just he's a great blogger. I mean, that's one thing I would say where I sort of lack uh, <laughs> as far as uh, keeping up to date with my blog and having content there all the time. I write for a bunch of different publications, so I tend to neglect my own blog, which is not a great thing. But if you're interested in social media, follow along with what Mitch Joel says. Um, he's, he's really, really smart. So he's one. Um, there's a few other people that I follow, one being a guy named Scott Stratton. And uh, he has a new book coming out in a couple of weeks. He's also in the social media space. And what I love about Scott is that he really stresses how important it is not to go out there and market to people all the time. It really is about building community and building up these networks and leveraging the tools uh, to be able to do something good in the world. So um, unmarketing tends to be a, a great um, a Twitter account to follow along. That's Scott Stratton's Twitter account, and I'll just post it in the uh, chat room. So at unmarketing. Uh, he's another one who I keep up to date with. If I had to mention one place that I go every single day and I can't wait to read the new content that's there, it is Mashable.com. Many of you are probably familiar with that. That is the number one social media news blog on the Internet. Not only has it helped me really keep up to date on trends happening in the social media space, uh, it has also helped me when I'm looking to discover new 
tools and I go out to speak to audiences, whether they're education audiences or different industries, there's always case studies there about how people are using Mashable, or sorry, how people are using social media well. And uh, I encourage people to check that out. I've found examples here when I've spoken to education groups, everything from how college professors are using Twitter uh, to Skype to all these different tools. So I guarantee you will find some really interesting stuff there. Okay, that's a great list. So if you have a question for Amber, please put it in the chat or go ahead and raise your hand using the hand with the green up arrow. Amber, for me, I, I kind of find it, I, you know, I carry a phone that now does a good three quarters of the thing I used to, things I used to depend on my computer to do. I find it hard to believe that in education you won't all be carrying these devices and actively <laughs> using them as a part of education in 10 years. So I really value the conversation taking place now because it feels as though we're trying to build a foundation and base for understanding the use of social media to, to use it in good ways in education. And I think your voice is really helpful in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always said to people, and I think there will be a day where we consider it uh, sort of unbelievable that we actually sat tethered to desks with these giant computers in front of us when you think about how powerful some of the smartphones are and how much they can do. And uh, I don't even think people use the smartphones to their full potential. I mean, if you think about it, we have tools in our phones. Right now I'm looking at my phone. Uh, you know, I can shoot video. I can record audio. I can do all of these different things. I can download you know, thousands of applications. And I'm not using it to its full potential. So uh, these are some powerful little devices. And really, I think the future of social media in some ways. Okay, so if I've missed a question, please put it in the chat. I'm not, I'm not seeing one, but I apologize if I've missed it. Please feel free to, to point it out to us again. Or raise your hand with the hand with the green up arrow. <laughs> this is a great little tool you have here to do the uh, chat. Well, you know what we didn't do, and, and I don't know if you have a webcam associated with, your, with the computer that you're on, but normally we don't bring the webcam up because it, it can just distract from the conversation. But I am going to turn mine on just so people who, if this is your first time in here, you can see how that webcam works. And sure. this is me. I can turn mine on too if you so, want. So Amber, look below the picture of me. You should see a button that says preview. Uh, yeah. Click on that. And if it works right off the bat, you're in good shape. If it doesn't, we'll have you set your device okay. up. Okay, sure. Hold on one sec, okay? And I don't know if Amber's listening. Sorry about that. I just had to go and turn a light on. So, it's a so little there is a question for you. How much did you like math, science, and computer science when you were in school? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I really enjoyed math and science when I was in school, and my mom taught computers. So uh, it was a situation where I was very lucky because there were computers around me all the time when I was in high school, um, very old, clunky computers, but they were still around. And so I didn't really fear the technology, I think, as much as some people. Uh, so uh, I did enjoy them. I kind of got out of math and science as I got into my later years in high school, but just, high school, but just loved computers. And uh, when I first got on the internet, as I mentioned before, I was just fascinated that this was an opportunity for me to be able to connect with anyone from any place in the world. And I just thought it was so exciting to uh, be around kind of for the birth of that. Hello? 
So we saw you for a second there. Then you want to wait. Did you click on transmit? Oh, hold on. There you go. Okay, now use the drop-down box to put yourself into color because we're seeing you in black and white. Oh, yeah, I was wondering about that. No problem. Oh, there you are. So this is so funny because when you had said that you were running late, I think you tweeted. I went to your Twitter account to get your Twitter account to do the tweet for the show, and I wasn't subscribed to your Twitter account. And then your most frequent recent tweet was that you had been in a photo shoot and you were wearing that same outfit. Oh yeah, I know. I was in a park on the west end of town doing a photo shoot with this really bright pink sweatshirt on. Is the color okay now? Yeah, the color looks fine. Okay, so those of you who are in the in the room, you've been very patient and you've waited a long time, and uh, we sure want you to feel free to leave if you need to leave. Uh, we'll take one or two questions more, I think, uh, if anybody has one. How about getting Amber to give a giveaway copy of her book? No, that's not fair, Peter. Oh, no, I can give one away. I'll give one away. I'll give an autographed copy away. We'll do it for, I don't know, you can decide. Oh, how no, no, I don't want to be in charge of that. So you, I think you've got to send it to Peter, maybe, for being brave and asking. Okay, okay. Okay, so if uh, anybody has a question for Amber, please feel free to put it in the chat or use the hand of the game. Yeah, I think I saw a few questions in there uh, before. Um, let's see, there was a few different uh, questions just before we went into uh, the chat. Oh, I don't know if we want to do this one. Um, strategies for dealing with the fear generated by the media. This is from Peggy George. So Peggy's a great listener, so and she's also the host of her own Saturday show. So please address that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if Peggy's talking specifically about uh, fears as far as uh, I have worked in a news organization, so I understand this. They tend to talk about some of the technology out of there, and we hear them talking about technology and children. They're always talking about um, to be careful of your children on the Internet, about pedophiles, about all of these issues, about, you know, stalking. And I'm, I'm not saying that these things don't happen, but I will say from having worked with inside an organization is that they tend to blow these things up a little bit more than uh, what is reality. And so um, as far as dealing with fears in the media, I think you really have to you know, fight back with some of the studies that exist online and, and show off um, some of these reports that have come out that have showed that uh, the reality is you know, there, it, the Internet really isn't as scary of a place as some people might like it to seem, especially uh, the media. So uh, there's a lot of great examples of how the media has really stretched things and, and really um, embellished them a lot just to, you know, the reality is uh, if it bleeds, it leads, right? And the same applies to <laughs> technology news. They don't like the good news. So I would say, you know, Peggy's next question is, so just feed, keep feeding them research and data. I think that's exactly true. I mean, there's some things that people do need to be aware of. I mean, you do want to make sure you protect people's privacy as much as you can online. Um, and there are some fairly easy ways to do that. And I encourage anyone, um, whatever organization you're in, I just, again, wrote another article about this. Is I, I believe that there should be regular sort of lunch and learns and sessions where you can go in and find out, okay, how do I use tools like Facebook to protect my privacy? And, and those things should really be a service to the community of people you have around you. Uh, and it's critical to keep teaching people that. Amber Brandy says, Amber Florida Brandy came out today says, suggesting Florida teachers not friend students. students. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I'm not sure that Facebook, and people talk about this a lot, but I'm not sure Facebook, that Facebook is the perfect place for teachers to engage in the social media space because a lot of kids like that place to be a private place where they interact with you know, their friends and maybe their family. And so in some respects, I almost think that if you're dealing with kids, and it depends how old these kids are, I mean they have to be at least 13 to be on Facebook in the first place, uh, that you may want to establish a community outside of Facebook where it is a community just for education and children and maybe parents are involved in getting, you know, giving the kids permission to interact. You could use a service like Ning.com that allows you to build your own social network. And so I would almost bring the conversation out of Facebook a little bit. I'm not saying it doesn't work because there are examples of how it has worked, but I wouldn't focus on that necessarily as the, the best tool for bringing social media into the education space because there are, you know, ten better. You know, I, I named Skype just for doing video chats with experts or classrooms or people from around the world. Uh, Ning to develop your own custom social network. I mean, YouTube is a great teaching tool as is video. Uh, so there are so many thing, things that you can do outside of that environment. So we're all big fans of Ning so here. But it's not free anymore. <laughs> we, free we know. I know. Although those, there was a 10-day reprieve given for those who were, who were struggling at the last minute. Okay, so uh, Leonard keeps okay, asking so about your Leonard publisher. I think you want some private advice about how you chose your publisher. I'll let you put that in the chat or you can say what you'd like publicly. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as actually producing a book, I'm, it's uh, something where uh, they actually uh, um, ended up buying my uh, proposal. So I put together a 10,000 word proposal that was given to a literary agent in New York and he shopped it around and then Portfolio, which is part of Penguin uh, in New York City, they were interested and uh, they ended up buying the book. So uh, it was a lot of work before the book even happened. You know, some people think, okay, we'll have an idea, I'll just put it out there. But I actually wrote 10,000 words, which is a lot of content before uh, I even had a chance to uh, know that the book would be bought at all. Okay, we'll take one final okay, question we'll and let Amber go. You're welcome to raise your hand using the hand with your gun and arrow, or if you want to post it in the chat, please feel free to do so. And if I missed the question, please post it again. Martin, so I'm giving you the microphone. Turn the mic on by clicking the larger mic button at the lower left of your screen. Okay, is that okay? Okay, just a quick question, Amber. Um, with the uh, using Web 2.0. Sorry, Martin, with the echo, I accidentally turned your mic off. You're going to have to turn it back on again. Martin, that was my fault. And I'm imagining you still asking the question, not realizing that your mic isn't on. You click that larger microphone button at the lower left again. I turned Amber's mic off and accidentally turned everybody's mic off at the same time. I feel badly, Martin. I feel really badly, but we're not hearing you. So to turn your mic back on, click on the larger microphone button at the lower left of your screen. Come back. <laughs> And Amber, I turned your mic off as well because there was the echo, so we're not hearing. I can see your mouth moving, but well, I sure hate to end on that note. Martin, we'll give you one more try here. If you're hearing us, I had to turn your mic off. Go ahead and click it on again. It's the larger microphone button at the lower left of your screen. Okay, there you are. is that better? Yes, thank you. Hello. We can hear you. Please go ahead. Now your mic's off again. 
one more time. It's like the toggle switch. You turn it on, you turn it off. So at the lower left of your screen, just toggle it back on. This is harder than waiting for Amber in traffic. Oh, I just can't let Martin not ask his question. Okay, so Martin, at the lower left of your screen is the microphone switch. It turns on and then it turns off and it's off again. And we heard you for a moment. So one last shot here. Let's have you turn it on. Lower left screen, larger microphone button. You've got to click it on. <laughs> this is killing me. Martin, we're really sorry. Okay, I'm going to do my little close out here, and if Martin comes back, we'll let him ask a question. Amber, thanks so much for coming today. What a pleasure to have you here. Future of Education is sponsored by Learn Central and Illuminate. Sure appreciate both those organizations. And please don't miss our upcoming sessions, Kathleen Cushman tomorrow, on the brilliant fires in the mind, which relates so directly to what we've talked about today that I think those of you who are um, so inclined will be fascinated to hear what students concluded about engagement and learning. Uh, Amber, any final words? Turn that mic back on. You should be able to do it now on the lower left of your screen. There you go. Hi there. Um, I just want to thank everybody for uh, joining into this conversation. You know, I, I'm always interested in learning more about uh, Education 2.0, what's happening in this space. So I encourage you also to uh, reach out to me. You can find more about me at ambermac.com. Uh, you can send me an email at amber at ambermac.com if you have anything to uh, let me know about or you have any other questions. And uh, of course, I'm always on Twitter at twitter.com slash ambermac. And, uh, Thanks again. I'm apologizing, apologizing one more time for being late because of traffic, but uh, uh, at least we got a good chat in. And I'll be listening to future shows because this is a good one. Thanks, Amber. Thanks for coming so much. And thanks for a great book. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good night. Good night. So I'm turning Amber's mic off so she doesn't get the echo. And uh, you know the drill. In order for the recording to process, we have to exit the room. But I'm clapping for Amber. Thanks again, Amber, and thanks to you for coming tonight, those of you who did today, those of you who did join us, and we hope that you'll come again. Have a great day.